Welcome to another episode of Straight Talk Recovery. I'm your host, Adam Costive, and our co-host, Raymond Moore, is here with us today. And so, Ray, why don't you introduce, introduce us to a great young guest that we have today. Yeah, so, you know, I'm happy that we have another guest on the show. I thought it went really well with Nathaniel, and we uh, we wanted to get more people on the show and, and kind of get uh, different perspectives on thir- certain things. And we've decided to invite Ramon Phipps, who's the program manager at Trafalgar Residence, onto the show today to talk about a very uh, important topic. Um, in many treatment facilities and many treatment programs are really geared kind of around this. And Ramon will share with us a little bit later, but today's session is on mindfulness. So first of all, welcome, Ramon. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Thank you so much for having me, guys. Yeah. So for me, this is a very challenging topic. And and I know for you, it's a very easy one. I thought you're the perfect guy to to talk to. Mm-hmm. Um, so could you just give us a kind of understanding of what mindfulness actually is? Uh, I know it's been around for, I mean, for 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 a very, very, very long time, obviously. Um, but it's definitely becoming a lot of uh, in the forefront of a lot of different therapies and um, important in a lot of people's lives. So can you give us a, like a, a an idea of what mindfulness is all about? Yes. Yeah, so actually, when I started mindfulness myself, I was introduced to it when I was about 14 years old, believe it or not. Uh, it was a part of uh, this extracurricular activity I was doing in my high school years. I was part of a wrestling team. I, I love my athletics as a child. And we had this one particular coach. I'll never forget her name. Her name is Miss Dunlop. Uh, she always used to incorporate yoga into our training regimen. And from there, I never really understood the value of what mindfulness is. She will always just kind of throw out that word. And I would always just think to myself, uh, stretching, uh, down dog, uh, all this weird stuff that seems like all the hippies are into but i never really grasped it onto the concept of what being aware truly was she always used to allow us to do things like breath work and again as a child this idea of finding this mental attitude where you are at peace was something so far removed from my experience that i never even wanted it in the first place it wasn't until later on in life where i started to explore different religions and philosophies in my post-secondary years, where I was introduced to the Jainic and Buddhist religions, where or spiritualities as some people call them, where mindfulness was a prime component of their overall teachings. And from there, understanding why people practice mindfulness was a lot more clear for me. Because my biggest resistance to it was that this is hippy-dippy, monk, Buddhist nonsense. And I thought to myself, why? Why do people do this? There's so much easier ways to find peace, such as using drugs or getting high. There was a lot of easier ways to find my escape, so why meditate? But then I heard one thing, one thing very important, and it was actually from this Buddhist practitioner that I had the chance to meet when I was very young, uh, still very prime in my own addictive tendencies at 22 years old. They told me that mindfulness is about awareness. That's it. Chill out. Just be aware. I thought, well, that sounds very easy. But then I started to explore that a little bit as the years went on. And I even came across a lot of educational concepts, such as uh, mindfulness-based stress reduction from, that was created by um, John Kabat-Zinn, who is a very renowned mindfulness educator in North America. And they expanded on that overall phrase of just being aware, to being aware absent judgment. And that's what the true definition of mindfulness is to allow your mind to be aware of what is going on with your thoughts and your feelings, absent judgment. Meaning that we are allowing ourselves to remove the attitude of 
judgment towards what we see and what we feel. And that's the biggest component of mindfulness. Away from all the yoga that you see, away from even the grounded exercises that many people will use in mental health therapies, to be aware enough to look at what's going on with you, detached from judging what's going on with you, is the main foundation of what mindfulness is. We know that mindfulness, we hear it as a catchphrase everywhere now in uh, popular society. Uh, you can't go anywhere without hearing it, uh, whether it's on the radio, whether you're walking down the street, you know, a yoga studio will have it there. You'll see natural, you'll see it everywhere, mindfulness, you know, in common media uh, as well. So when we talk about mindfulness and recovery, right, is there any difference? between the mindfulness that they talk about in, you know, social media, in the general population, and to the, um, the type that you promote uh, in, re- in the recovery programs? Yes, uh, mindfulness, it goes along with a lot of the therapeutic methodologies that people will be educated on in treatment programs or in mental health services to allow yourself to eventually get to a point where you can master the direction of your thoughts. Even something like uh, CBT was based on this cognitive behavioral therapy. There's no way that you're going to be able to change your thought pattern without recognizing your thought pattern in the first place. And that's mm-hmm. the, I'm glad that mindfulness now is a big buzzword. Heck, even on my own social media accounts, I communicate a term that says stay mindful. It's something I use with the clients that I work with as well. Stay mindful, stay mindful, stay mindful. And in this buzzword, it's just a reminder to, of course, stay aware, to stay present, to stay here so that we can see exactly what the fact of the matter is. Because too often, especially in regard to that, our transition from addiction to recovery, do we try to run away from what's actually going on with us, emotionally and mentally speaking. And when we try to run away, we just look for our easy fixes, whether that be a drug, a behavior, or another distraction. To be mindful allows us to actually be brave enough to engage with a lot of those emotional and mental discomforts so that we can truly overcome them, especially in the process of recovery. So in that same respect, I think that mindfulness, if you're talking about any population, like there's kids, there's old age populations, there's people that are just looking for fulfillment in life in any demographic, I think that for the demographic of people in recovery, to be mindfully aware is the most important thing for them to have a successful long-term process and journey throughout this next phase in their life. The, the, the only issue I have with this, and it's not issue, I'm saying this personally, um, I, I love hearing you talking and I'm listening to everything that you're saying. And one of the things that keeps coming up in, in my mind is about slowing down. When you talk about being aware, the world goes so fast, so many things are happening, family life, work life, social life, whatever it may be. I'm hearing you basically telling me personally, slow down. Become aware of what's actually happening with you. And I, and I know anytime I've tried to teach mindfulness to, to, to people or even incorporate it in my own life, there's always this, this talk of speed that seems to come up. So I know I, you haven't quite got to the meditation part of it um, as of yet. But, you know, the one thing I often hear is my brain races too fast. Right. It's hard Mm -hmm. to stay in the moment because I'm typically thinking about what's happening for me right now. The person in front of me, my shopping list of the dog pee on the carpet and my late for work. Oh, my goodness, it's raining. My brain never stops. Um, I include trauma in there as well. Certain things that just keep my brain racing consistently and constantly. So how do I incorporate mindfulness into my life, seeing that my brain flies at about 200 miles an hour? 
Okay, so let's conceptualize that just for a moment. And I'm, I'm going to do you one better. I'm going to put in the most extreme example that uh, somebody can find themselves in in regard to their mental condition. Uh, somebody that has ADD or ADHD. That seems like the worst case scenario of racing or distracted thought patterns. And yes, we always do have so much different obligations in life or even, again, as you mentioned, our traumas that may play a role in building our daily anxieties and stresses. But for somebody with ADD and ADHD, it might seem like those things are fairly uncontrollable. Gabor Maite, one of the leading addiction uh, physicians in here in Canada, has a great talk in a book called Scattered Minds, where he actually explores how people with ADD-like symptoms actually come into this particular condition in their life. And it's brilliant the way that he kind of examines it, because it's a telling story of how behavioral conditioning could lead to a lot of these predisposed thought patterns that we may find ourselves in. So for example, a child witnesses their parents arguing back and forth throughout the course of their entire childhood. Eventually, they learn to cope with that behavior, maladaptively more so than adaptively. And when they're coping, they usually tend to engage in this mental condition of tuning out, where they just check out, they play with their toys, they act like nothing's going on, they become numb to the sounds around them. And with that in itself, they effectively allow themselves to cope, but it's just not in a healthy way. Now, this becomes a condition pattern for the brain, which eventually might lead into symptoms of ADD and ADHD in their, in their later stages in life. Now, we could take that same concept and apply it to these daily stresses that we experience, where we're just thinking about the 1,001 things that we have to do within our 24-hour day, and then ask ourselves, why do I think this way in the first place? And that's how we start to really engage with mindfulness and understand what our difficulties are and how we can then correct them. If we have trouble with our overactive thought patterns in itself, it's only because we are conditioned to do so. We are conditioned to allow these thoughts to run wild, and we've been doing it for the entirety of our life until somebody told you to stay mindful. And then it's hard to actually go against that because here you are working against the natural patterns and flow of your overall brain. So in choosing to be mindful, it's understanding that that difficulty exists in that first place, meaning that I have these thought patterns that just continue to race, and they might be latching on to many different anxieties in my life, and I find it hard. But the beautiful thing about mindfulness is it doesn't ask us to ignore that. It doesn't ask us to even take that away for the mindful moment. It asks us to engage with that. So when you choose to practice a mindful exercise, for example, such as meditation or grounding exercise, like the five senses exercise, which can, we can explore if you want on this podcast, you are asking yourself to make a choice to be here, present, aware with all those thoughts, with all those anxieties, but just to pay attention without that judgment attached to it. Because the only thing that's going to be building your stresses, building your fears, building your worries about getting the next thing done is your judgment. So we want to be able to use that same neuroplasticity that conditioned our mind into having these overactive thought patterns to now change in the way that we respond to these overactive thought patterns. So it's not about it's not about creating a void or eliminating them from your mind. It's about changing how we respond to actually viewing them. It's kind of like kicking back and watching a movie. Imagine what's your guys' favorite movie? I'll throw it Rocky. I love Rocky. <laughs> the Adventures of Buckaroo Banzai. Uh, okay, interesting choices <laughs> of <in> itself. <laughs> so the first time that you might have watched that movie, 
you would have been engaged and interested. It would have been the most stimulated experience of your life. But the second, third, fourth, tenth time that you watch that movie, is, uh, you know what's kind of coming next and you know what to expect. But because you deem it as your favorite movie, it's still something of interest to you. But again, that's just how our mind works. Eventually, it's just going to become desensitized to the things that are overly stimulating to us. So with mindfulness as a practice, we consistently allow ourselves to tune in to what's going on, absent judgment. And the more and more we do this, we start to desensitize our overall stress response to it. No matter if that's a trauma or no matter if this is your overactive imagination that's creating anxiety-based thinking patterns for you you start to desensitize that overall response to stress, which hormonally means that you're not going to get as escalated. And when you're not as escalated hormonally, it means that then we're able to control those obsessive thinking patterns that can lead us into those panic or high anxiety episodes. I just want to backtrack for a second because you totally smashed the nail. Like I absolutely love how you described it. I actually got goosebumps. I remember I, I heard this once before and it's really what got me into mindfulness. I was definitely a big critic of it. It's like, I'm just wired way too fast for this. I just can't slow down. I've had this issue my whole life, et cetera, et cetera. But it wasn't until somebody actually told me, it's not about being aware of your thoughts and eliminating them, right? So mm. even during meditation, there was always this, and I know the vast majority of people I work with, there tends to be this um, idea that you need to clear out all of your thoughts get rid of them and sit basically within that moment in the second and feel your body, which for some, including those with trauma is absolutely impossible, but mm -hmm. you nailed it on the head. And, and I think so many people do not understand this is it's not about getting rid of those thoughts. It's about being aware that they're there. And, 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 you know, even if they are thoughts of anxiety or whatever they may be, it's just allowing your attention to be focused on it. Don't try to push them away. Just allow them to be. And when you allow them to be and you get connected with that, it becomes much, much easier to actually deal with that rather than trying to forcefully push it away. I mean, it's coming to, to your brain for a reason, whatever that reason may be. And it's important to just simply be aware of the fact that the thoughts are there and avoid this idea of, of eliminating them or, or um, you know, deeming something as being a good thought versus a bad thought or, or mm -hmm. whatever it may be. Just mm -hmm. allow yourself to be in that moment. Allow yourself to think. Allow yourself to mm -hmm. feel what you're feeling in that moment. Become aware of that. So thank you. You absolutely, wow, yeah. it's, that, that was absolutely brilliant. I love how you described right. that. Thanks. Right. So I want to add to that is from a therapeutic side, from a therapist, when we go in and we're working with clients, we are actually being hypersensitive to what's going on for them. We're being mindful of everything they say, every movement they make, and we're bringing it to their attention, trying to get them to be mindful, to actually recognize that. So that's the role of the therapist in the office, in, a, in a, a therapeutic setting. So for you, Ramon, when you're dealing with people who are new to this whole concept of mindfulness, and because you know you do it every morning with uh, uh, in one form or another with the clients. Mm -hmm. So when you have that client who is starting out for the very first time, and they're the ones that are struggling, and you can see it, you you pick up on uh, their body language or whatever. What do you do to help them in, to get mindful? Well, if I can be completely honest with you, the first thing I do when I, I see somebody having trouble with a mindfulness exercises is I chuckle quite quite a bit. I, I laugh at the whole situation. It's it's quite funny because 
one, it's a part of a process and I've been there myself. And two, eventually they, I know that they will hit a wall where they feel like they just can't do it. And when they hit that wall, they're going to be able to surprise themselves if they at least allow themselves to continue the consistency and efforts of what it means to cultivate a mindful practice. I'm very glad that you asked that question because I just want to highlight three different practices that I tend to allow our clients to participate in. And even generally the people that I teach mindfulness to, I usually try to highlight these things so that we can see that mindfulness is not only something that has to do with meditation, but it mm-hmm. actually has to do with a lot of different engagements of our life, if not every engagement of our life, from our communication with other people to when we choose to exercise or when we just choose to spend time alone. It's about being aware and making a conscious intention to be aware. So the first activity that I'll usually give somebody that has issues with mindful exercises is journaling. Now, there are three different ways that you could journal. I'll just go through them really quickly. There's reflective journaling in which you're uh, you're just depicting accurate representations or depictions of your life experiences. This is something that helps you put out your narrative on a piece of paper and be able to reflect on it. That reflection is a mindful experience, but there's also a second form of journaling, which is processing, where you just express allow yourself to put whatever it is on a page whatever thought whatever emotion and even that is a mindful engagement because you are here and you are aware you might not be able to conceptualize or understand everything that you're putting out there but it's about the experience not really about the overall result and effect too much people get trapped in trying to find the outcome of what we call this dopaminergic rise where they feel like they're going to be blissful in this meditative state <laughs> and you know they can release themselves everything but that dopaminergic rise is very similar to how an addict seeks their dopaminergic rise from the drugs that they use, or even those people with very strict behavioral patterns, such as allowing their anger to manifest itself into aggression. Again, we're seeking this dopaminergic rise, this reward-seeking chemical is what drives our life. So we got to learn how to control that. The third form of journaling has to do with goal setting and contemplation, just looking towards the future. And these are just three separate ways that we could write words on a paper, but all of that is a mindful engagement. But you know what that helps people do? It helps them become more comfortable with sitting there with observing what is going on thought-wise, what is going on feeling-wise, and committing to an activity until it's completion, no matter what form of journaling you try. So that is one easy activity I would give people. One dynamic activity that I, this is what I'm kind of known for, is breath work. I really love breath work because whether you believe in it or not, it will work. It's about hormonal parasympathetic nervous system stimulation. If you take in oxygen and you let out carbon dioxide, you're already starting to stimulate your parasympathetic nervous system, which is going to be responsible for your overall flight, flight, freeze mechanisms and your ability to even do things like promote your appetite and promote regulation in your mood. And sleep goes along with that. Added benefits. Beyond the point, though, when we're choosing to do breath work, taking some air in, holding it, letting it out, along a pace breathing prompt, then with that stimulation in itself, we find that benefit much more quickly for those mindful experiences that a lot of individuals are seeking. Too often do I see people say, I entered a trance state when I went through a breathing activity with you, Ramon, or, you know, I think I found myself in this meditation. <laughs> it's, it's beautiful and it's amazing to see really and truly, but really and truly all they're doing is they're regulating their stress. And when they're in periods where they finally regulate their stress, they're able to see things a lot more clearly and have these very amazing experiences that's always been there, but it's been clouded and jaded by so much of the anxieties in their life. Breathwork is 
uh, the second activity that I usually try to educate people on. And the third is as simple as it sounds, just commit into an under-stimulating activity. We want to be stimulated too much. Most people find it hard not to be stimulated. Heck, even when you're at home doing nothing at all, you're probably doing as much as you realistically can to stimulate yourself from watching TV, playing video games, or even just you know stroking your beard. All of these things in themselves are because <laughs> it creates a stimulating effect for us. So I challenge people sometimes to do nothing whatsoever. And this is how you actually start to build a meditation practice because you got to get used to doing nothing whatsoever. So it, it, how this looks in realistic um, scenarios is I will tell somebody to go for a walk for at least 20 to 35 minutes. If you have a phone, put it on airplane mode. Don't listen to music because that's cheating. And just engage with the world <laughs> around you. And in this, you will find your true self because your anxieties are going to boil. You're going to want to quit. You're going to want to do something that's more stimulating. But the point is not to, to allow that stress to build so that you can observe it, get used to it, become more aware, and then prove to yourself that you do have control and mastery over your mind. I, I, I want to challenge the listeners to actually do that. And it is, yeah. it's an activity that I've suggested to people before. And I've done it myself because I'm always flying at 100 miles an hour is just even and I know it sounds so simple to the point people are not even going to try it. But I highly suggest that you try to sit for 15 minutes with nothing. Mm -hmm. As, as Ramon said, mm -hmm. absolutely nothing. Just 15 minutes without your phone, without anything happening around you, and just sit. Walking is definitely the, uh, the much, but, but just to get an idea of, of what it's like for 15 minutes to sit with yourself, maybe even after this podcast, sit, sit with yourself for 15 minutes and really become aware of what it is you're feeling. Because I know when I started this, I felt anxious immediately. One minute in and I was like, this is stupid. I'm not going to do it. And grabbed my phone, basically showing my inability to actually sit mm -hmm. with my own self, let alone and, wonder why other people may struggle with dealing with me, right? But And uh, that's the question that I was leading up to. First, thank you for pointing out that I was stroking my beard. Uh, <laughs> se second of all is just where Ray left off is from watching when you've done these classes, why do you think people are so distressed at times doing mindfulness when they first start? I, I believe that people are usually distressed with the practice of mindfulness because they're distressed with themselves. They are not, they don't know themselves. They are not willing to engage with themselves. They try especially in an environment that we work in, to run away from themselves for such a long period of time. So the moment that they're forced to sit with themselves, they do feel like it is forced. When in fact, I try to educate mm -hmm. people that's a choice and it's an option to be there with yourself. And it's a great honor for you to provide that to yourself. But most people, sure. they again, they resist yeah. that for the entirety of their life. So the moment that now it's back to that game where maintain the way the brain wires itself to dissociate in regard to stressful situations. It's about retraining our mind to allowing it to engage with stress in a much more healthy and confident manner. It's not about eliminating the stress. We're never going to eliminate stress in our life, nor should we ever try to pursue that because our stress is what helps us survive. It what helps us make us productive. It's what puts us as athletes in the zone. The stress is a very useful tool, but it's mm -hmm. about how we respond to that stress. And that's what we try to change with mindfulness. 
people who have a discomfort with sitting with themselves have a lot of unresolved issues with themselves. And a lot of these have to do with insecurities and anxieties. But that's okay as well, too. Because the great thing about mindfulness is it challenges us to be in a position of acceptance, acceptance mm-hmm. towards all of these things. This is where that non-judgment piece comes into play. And with that, you only are working towards a better sense of self the more and more you practice mindful engagements. Because one, you're getting in touch with yourself. Two, you're allowing yourself to see that even though you're stressed, it doesn't mean that you have to run away from it. And three, you're creating this holistic experience that you're finally learning to like exactly who you are, stressed or not stressed. And that's all we could really ask for from this human experience to one day accept ourselves. With mindfulness, we just happen to fast track that. Okay. So for those who have never done mindfulness before, who might be listening in uh, today, just a quick, you know, intro of what they should, how they should start. A great way to start mindfulness is exactly what I mentioned in the third activity. Start by doing something understimulating so that you see what your overall tolerance to stress is. If you know that you can't even commit to five minutes of doing something understimulating, then you know you probably got some work to do. So you always want kind of a baseline to see where you are. With that in itself, it's just a matter of finding activities that you are interested in, in order to cultivate your mindful experiences, to become more consistent and to become more beneficial. Sure, meditation is a great way to go about this, but meditation doesn't work for everybody. And in that regard, I will recommend that you try breath work as opposed to meditation, because that creates a lot more instantaneous stimulation that you can benefit from while giving you all the added benefits of mindfulness. But if those items in themselves don't sound very interesting to you, then there are always different ways to go about mindfulness and learning about it. Start off by reading a book, maybe based on the same topic. As I mentioned, uh, John Kabat-Zinn, one of the founders of North American Mindfulness, created a great guideline to be able to explore this. And if you do want more of an intellectual experience and learning about mindfulness, that's great. But just always remember, at the end of the day, it's going to come down to you and you. You sit in with you, you engage in with you, you learn in more about yourself. So the sooner you're ready to just hop into that is the sooner you're going to be able to reach the benefits. But if you do want other approaches, as I mentioned, there are three different activities that I highlighted in this podcast. Just review it. And of course, try them one at a time and see what works for you. Okay. So before we wrap up, I got to at least give you an opportunity, Ramon, to plug your own uh, YouTube channel. So why don't you go ahead and let the uh, listeners uh, know how they can uh, uh, get to uh, follow you. Awesome. So if you're interested in uh, social media content that's based on mental health education and mindfulness, then please feel free to follow me on YouTube. The channel name is The Detail. Or if you search my name directly in a search bar on YouTube, R-A-M-O-N-D-P-H-I-P-P-S, you'll be able to find my videos, click on them and learn a bit. Stay mindful. Right. Thank you so much, uh, Ramon. We really appreciate you being uh, on with us today. Thank you. And so on behalf of myself, Adam Kostiv, and my co-host, Raymond Moore, we're signing off once again, and we're reminding you, stay mindful, keep talking. Thank you. Bye, everybody. Goodbye.